Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. And uh, I don't know, do we have any kids that are being dismissed? We got a couple in here? All right. Um, While they're headed out, real quick announcement. We are in need of help um, here at the church. We only have our one service a week, but... uh, we would love to have some help with the kids eventually. We would love to have some help. I'd love to get to a place where the, have you guys noticed the, the ones that are up here singing? Is it the same people every week? Yeah, I'd love to get to a place uh, where they can take weeks off. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, we got to have some willingness of uh, you to be willing to sing, come up and make a joyful noise. And so if you'd be interested in doing things like that, let me know. Um, that's just a little side note. Um, All right, so this week we're going to be in Luke chapter uh, 1. We just started last week, the gospel according to Luke. And we did the first four verses last week, and I have one left. Uh, We bought some of these, and if we we need some more, I'd love to uh, order some more if anybody would be interested. We got some of these. My mom found these, and uh, it's on each page. It's uh, it's, all it is is the gospel of Luke. And on one page you got a page of the text, and the other page you have blank for notes. Oh, Oh, somebody snatched their hand up. All right, you get the last one since you were the first one to pop your hand up. Uh, This is the last one, but we're going to, I'd love to order some more if anybody would be interested in getting some of those. Um, If you could let me know, we'll get them. They don't cost hardly anything at all. And so um, um, I don't remember where she got them, but we could definitely get some more of those. And uh, it's interesting because uh, if we're going to study the entire gospel according to Luke, it'd be nice to have that little piece of thing. Man, we went through this whole thing. And I want you to know, I think that's how I think about. When I think about a study that we're going through, I always, in my head, like, like when I'm talking to myself, um, I, I say things like, hey, we're going through Luke right now. I don't think about it as I'm going through Luke and you're watching. I think of it as we're going through Luke. That's what we're doing together. We're studying this together. And uh, I get the privilege of getting to preach through this. But uh, I think of all of us together, we're studying the gospel according to Luke. And uh, I always love what we, we learn as we go through. Well, today I've got... I'm going to do a little introduction, some commentary on the scripture. We're going to do chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. And then there's three implications from this text that I want to hone in on. Uh, But before we begin, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to pray now as we begin this next step in our study of Luke that you would guide and direct. Lord, we desperately need your spirit to direct the very teaching that happens in this building. God, we pray for that. We hope for that. Lord, if it's just us down here doing this thing, what a waste. Lord, if your spirit is present, and that's a present reality in the the teaching and the learning and the singing and the praising and the prayers, Lord, if, if your spirit is flowing in and through every element of this service, God, it's a divine thing. And God, we pray for that today. You've promised to give us your spirit, and we pray for it, believing that you will answer that prayer. I pray these things down in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so introduction first. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but I I, I get annoyed at TV every once in a while because like TV used to be, in my head, like when I watch TV, TV would be like, I think there's a name for it. I think it's serialized or episodic. But like, so every week, Star Trek, the old Star Trek, you would get an episode of Star Trek, and you knew they were going to meet a new alien, and they're going to encounter a new planet, 
And, and it was all going to get resolved at the end, and the only people you had to worry about were the red shirts, right? I mean, they, we might lose one of them along the way, but we didn't know who they were anyway, and their name wasn't mentioned, and we might lose them, but, but they're, okay, we, you know, they got one line in the, the whole show, and, and, you know, in fact, we kind of knew, you know, if you got a totally new character, come on, Star Trek, you're like, oh, you're a goner, buddy. <laughs> you're, you're not going to make it to the end of this. Uh, another show that I like that, that works like that each week is uh, I like Blue Bloods, and every week you know that at the end of the, by the end of the episode, Danny's going to knock a couple of knuckleheads in the head and, and catch the bad guys, and the commissioner is going to say something wisely profound. And if you ever watch the show, it happens every, and then they have dinner together. It's, it's great. I, I love, because I know it's going to happen every time. Charity likes those gritty shows where, like, you never know what's going to happen. I like the one, let's everybody, let's the good guys win, the bad guys lose, I can rest satisfied. That's what I want. Charity, no. That's not what she wants. A lot of shows nowadays, it seems like a, a trend is where they have like, the whole season is one story. Have you noticed that a lot of shows do that now? Uh, I, one of the first shows I remember doing that was that, remember that show 24? Um, where like the whole season was like 24 hours. Like it's just basically telling one story in like over the course of the thing. But, but every once in a while, you'll get a blend of the two. Now, here's why I'm mentioning this. Every once in a while, you get a blend of the two where you have the, the episode, the story that's happening right here and now, but then they start dropping hints of what's building, okay? Uh, every once in a while, they'll do that. I remember Star Trek The Next Generation did that because every, you know, every time, you got, I, I know, I'm, I'm showing my nerd today, aren't I? Um, uh, you know, things are happening, but every once in a while, there'd be a, a character, somebody that would, he's been here before, and he did this, and it's like starts to build a story, and it's usually as you're leading to the season finale, right? There's some little story they're building on the side. That's what it reminds me of when I'm, not Star Trek, but that's what it reminds me of when I'm studying Luke. Like, as we are going through this, you're going to hear the story of the day. This is the, this part of Luke that we're going to talk about, but as we go through, and, and I'm telling you right now, it's because Luke is such an amazing writer and such an excellent historian that he does that in this book. He, he starts to drop hints. There's, there's a bigger story that's happening. And he starts to drop, there's little hints here and there. And so there's something we can learn here in this episode, but I'm also going to have to, each and every week, we're going to drop little hints of what Luke is painting this bigger broader picture of, okay? Does that make sense? Okay, so that's, that's where we're at, and that's, this is how we're going to think about as we go through Luke. There's a bigger story being told. One of those bigger stories I, I'm just going to mention right now, this is my first spoiler hint. In this Bible, this much of it the Old Testament in my Bible, this is the Old Testament, and an emphasis or a key element of this Old Testament is anticipation, waiting. He's coming. You get little glimpses of him coming, but then it's not him. And this guy comes along, he, he doesn't wait, but then he falls. And this, then this person comes along, this is but then in, in some of those, there's even hints that there's somebody gonna come later. So they were all waiting around, anticipating something. And I think that as Christians, we forget sometimes that this part, 
especially this first little chunk here, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is about the end of the anticipation. I don't have time to get into the fullness of this today, but I'm gonna tell you right now, we forget this. And sometimes we act like we're still these Old Testament people just waiting for Jesus to come. And I know he's coming, right? But you have to understand he's already been here. The waiting for a Messiah happened. And he's now reigning and ruling on high, according to these scriptures. And I think some of us forget that. And so one of the things that I'm starting to learn, and so I'm revealing my own heart in this study, one of the things I'm starting to learn is that Luke is wanting us to capture that the anticipation has ended, and now he's here, okay? So keep that in mind. So just this little thing to start building and, and, and churning in your minds as we study Luke, and I would encourage you to read ahead many weeks. Read ahead, read Luke. Read it through. Come back, read it again. Ask that God would show you things in it. All right, shift gears. Let's do some, some uh, commentary now. We're gonna be in chapter one. We're gonna start with verse five. Now, I have them all up here. If you wanna follow along in your Bibles, it's great. Starts off with some setup. This is where Luke begins his story. So as we go through this commentary, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, as we're going, oh, take note of that. Take a look, put a little mental bookmark on that thought, okay? Uh, and we're gonna take note of this and take note of this. And then when we get to the verse 25, I'm gonna pause and I'm gonna, I'm gonna think through some implications of this part of the story, okay? So let's start here. Uh, starts off, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, by the way, Herod was a horrible, horrible man. Um, we'll, we'll find out more about him later. King of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So here we have an introduction of some characters in this story that Luke is writing, this history that Luke is writing. Uh, people used to question whether or not Herod was around at this particular time. Uh, this has since been proven absolutely true. I, this is one of my favorite things that you're going to hear me mention all throughout the Gospel of Luke is how many times that scholars were like, oh, Luke was wrong, and then they go, oh, I guess he was right. Um, go, oh, Luke was wrong. No, no, see, because Herod would oh, I guess he was right. Like, as they discover more history, you can find it again and again and again. Wait, Luke was actually really good at writing history, and he's very accurate. And in fact, as he's writing this, understand that the original people that are reading this He's saying these things because they would have remembered their, either themselves or their parents or their grandparents. Oh, yeah, I remember that time period, right? I remember when under the reign of King Herod. I remember that. That was when this, these things were happening. He, so he's saying these things to establish a certain historical context. This is when this was going on. The division of Abijah, uh, we actually mentioned him, I think, in one of our stories from uh, when we were going through the Old Testament. Uh, Abijah was a priest. He actually had a terrible reputation that has since waned. Uh, but Zechariah comes from that line of priests. And then we have his wife also comes from a line, that priestly line, Elizabeth. Now, what you're going to hear next, if you know the Old Testament very well at all, will sound very familiar. Okay? It's going to sound very familiar. It's going to remind you of Old Testament characters and their stories. And you're going to hear it and go, hmm. And I want you to know Luke wants you to catch that, okay? He wants you to catch that. Not because Luke is creating things, but because Luke, I believe, I think Luke was going, 
oh, I think light bulbs went on for Luke, and he went, oh, I see. I got to write this down. How did I miss it the first time? This is just like this. This is just like that. All right, verse 6. Listen to what the next part of the story is, and this is going to start to ring true. They were both righteous before God. This is Zachariah and Elizabeth. Take mental note of that. Not two reprobates. As Luke writes under the inspiration of the Spirit, he says what? They are righteous. They're, They're doing what is right, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Take note, mental bookmark. Okay? They're not secretly horrible people. They're they're doing they're doing the right thing. They're living right. Verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Again, well-known story, is it not? Let me ask you, who who pops in your mind from the Old Testament when I start saying these things? Sarah, Abraham and Sarah. Who else? Anybody else? Not the only one. I know you know. Uh, somebody said Hannah, right? Samuel's mother. Uh, Hannah went into the temple and was praying for a child, barren. In those days, specifically, but also in previous generations, to not have a child was considered potentially, a, a possibly even a punishment. It was something that she would have been, Elizabeth would have been ashamed of. We see glimpses of that throughout Old Testament history. This guy at the Bitti, I cannot pronounce his last name, in a way, I guess. Um, Thabiti, I'm just going to say his first name. Uh, he's one of my commentators, great pastor, by the way, that's uh, around today. He says, we're meant to understand the sadness of the situation. You're meant to feel that. They were righteous, but they were childless. And they probably wondered why they were childless, if they were righteous, or if they were truly righteous since they were childless. And we go, oh, but obviously, but you all know those feelings when things, we begin to connect God's blessing with how things are, like, right? Maybe there's something off with me. Maybe there's something off with me. Take mental note. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, the division of Abijah, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot, random chance, to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. From other histories, specifically Josephus uh, writes of the antiquities, there were approximately 18,000 priests that were in the service at this time period. Twice a year, a particular division would be the ones that were up at Jerusalem. And then once in a priest's lifetime, maybe they would get a chance to do what Zechariah did at this time. If he's doing this, he's never done this before. This is a once in a career moment for Zechariah. Chosen at random to go in. He goes in at this particular time. The tradition was, in fact, we have multiple historical writings that talk about the prayers that the priest would pray when he was doing the burning of the incense. It was meant to be a prayer for the nation. I can imagine the feelings that they may have experienced aren't too far off of what we may experience from time to time, praying for our nation. Uh, I mean, they had a 
King Herod and the bigger rulership of Rome. They didn't even have their own nation. And they were praying for their nation and this Messiah, the anticipation is there. And there were specific things that he was to go in and pray for, Zechariah was. So he goes in to pray. This is one, and I, I can imagine. I mean, I mean, he's an old guy. He's probably multiple times thought, maybe this would be my time. Maybe this would be it. Never got this one chance. Finally, he gets the opportunity. This is his chance. It's probably, I, I, I can imagine what a, what a privilege it would feel like for Zechariah to do this. He goes in, he's in there praying, burning the incense, meant to be represent the prayers of the people going up to the Lord, right? He's in there, he's praying the prayer that he's supposed to be praying. The people are outside all waiting. They're out there, they're praying for the, along with him, praying for the nation. And then verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, and the word angel means messenger of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Again, does this sound like any Old Testament stories? An angelic visit? Absolutely. In fact, what really blows my mind, we're going to find out the name of this particular angelic being in a moment. This isn't the first time he's shown up in the course of human history. Just, I get kind of, I'm like, man, that is so interesting to think about this, who this angelic being is. But here he is, he comes in. Think of uh, Hannah going into the temple to pray. It's a very typical story. I'm always skeptical of people that talk about having angelic visits and they're t- like, oh, it was warm and fuzzy. I felt so good about it. I'm like, in the Bible, every single time an angel shows up, people are falling on their face in fear and sometimes even confusing the messenger with maybe this is God himself. And every, almost every time, in fact, you, the very next statement is, is so, so typical of those Old Testament angelic visits. They have to say, don't be afraid. I can imagine they're probably... I wonder if the angels talk about that at times. So I have to go. I'm, I have to go. I'm going to go down and talk to one of them today. Oh, really? Oh man! Every time they get so afraid. <laughs> you know, I'm sure they don't talk like that to each other. But in my mind, that's what I always imagine. And I, I can imagine that you know they, they show up like they know they're going to show up, and then, then they show up and they're like uh, Zachariah, and they're like, like it's, it's okay, don't be afraid. You know, uh, you know. And, and this particular angel, he's done this before, and he's had to say this before. Like, no, it's okay. And every time, this is what they have to say, and this is what happens. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you should call his name John. Now, what was Zechariah praying for? We don't know. Now, your assumption might be he was praying for a child. That is highly improbable because of the the role of this particular prayer and what its purpose was. If this was a once in a career lifetime event and he had a script, many times, we have actual documents show this is what many times that they would almost like footnote, like this is what we're to pray when we do the burning of the incense. There's examples of those things. I would say it's highly improbable that he was specifically praying for a child, and yet the angel starts off with that. In fact, I don't think that's what he was praying for. I think this comment probably threw him off a little bit. 
as you're going to see. Actually, we know it throws them off a little bit. I, I can't help but wonder if this old Zachariah, I, I, okay, totally hypothetical, but speaking as a person who has been married for many years, I can't help but wonder if beforehand Elizabeth, you know, he, I can just picture him coming back, hey, I was chosen by Lot, Elizabeth. In my mind, it shifts into like this. I mean, they were an elderly Jewish couple, right? So it kind of shifts in my mind into that, that mindset. I could just see that, like, yeah, I, got, I got chosen today. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and maybe she's thinking about it for a while. And, and before the day that he's going to go, and I can just see her going, Zechariah, you, you don't have to. I know. I know you have prayers that you must pray. But, but, but would you consider just maybe in the middle of all this praying one more time for a child? Imagine Zechariah. But... No, I'm, this is not about me. This is, this is just I'm praying for the nation, and, and that's what this is for. And, and, then, and she's, I know, I know, I know, but it is just you and God in there. Nobody would know. <laughs> I mean, you could throw that in. He won't mind. I don't, you know. And, but I, I, I imagine her even wondering. I don't think that they were regularly praying for this anymore because I'm sure that what has happened for them is their can't has turned into a won't. They were old. I've always grown up hearing the story and picturing them like regularly praying for this, but I would imagine in most likelihood there had been something that had fallen to the side. But I can't help but wonder about Elizabeth knowing the Old Testament. Just one more time. I don't know. I don't know at all if Zachariah was praying for that. I believe he was praying for the nation and probably that alone but take note of some thoughts here in his responses and what he says. In fact, listen to what the angel says next. He says, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. He lets me think, okay, wait a minute, this is probably not just about, I think that what he was praying for was the nation. Many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Many will rejoice. Now, first off, think in Zechariah's mindset, and he's gonna, the angel's gonna say one more thing here in just a moment that's gonna solidify this. But they're living in the age of anticipation without a nation of their own, and he's in there, he's praying for the nation, and then this angel so typical of God's interventions into the world, showing up with an angelic visit that somebody important is going to be born. And here's Zacharias in the temple, and this angel's telling him, you're going to have a kid. And many are going to rejoice at his birth. I'm sure the wheels are starting to grind in and, and Zacharias' head. Like, is, what is he talking about, right? A couple little side notes to take mental note of, put a little... Put a little uh, chalk mark there. Um, sounds very similar to those Old Testament. Same thing happened with Samuel. A lot of people think that maybe uh, John had, was a Nazarite, but nothing's ever mentioned about the hair. Nazarite vow was also to not to cut the hair. That's never actually said, so we don't know that. But this does remind me of uh, Samuel again. He was, his parents were told the same thing. There was another one, a judge of Israel, Samson. Remember when 
they were told you're going to have a child, the same thing. The, the point of this is that this person is never going to be controlled or influenced by anything else other than the Spirit of God. That's the point. Nothing is going to influence them other than the Spirit of God. That's why this is so important. From birth, they will not be swayed by the, this particular thing. Even from his mother's womb, as we're going to see as this continues on, this means before birth. That might throw a couple loops in your theology. Now, the angel says next, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now, Zechariah would have known the scriptures, and this would have started to sound very, very familiar. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. The Lord had been silent in Israel for 400 years. The last words, in fact, if you go into your Bible and you look at the very last book of the Old Testament, the last verses, Malachi chapter four, verses five and six, the last two verses of the Old Testament. God's last words before a 400 year silence. Behold, God says through the prophet Malachi, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts. Wait, that's what. Now, you might be going, that's what that angel just told Zechariah was going to, John was going to do. Absolutely. Do you see why this is so essential? Luke wants you to catch this. Zechariah would have caught it. He wants you to catch this. This is after this. 400-year pause, God picks up right where he left off. I love that. I love that reality. The first time he shows up and talks to somebody, sends a messenger in to say, here's what's going to happen. It's exactly where he left off. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Those final words after 400 years of where's God? God shows up and he says, okay, I remember I said this. Here we go. It's starting. It's starting. The great and awesome day of the Lord is not the day at the end. It's the day when Christ comes. What a powerful reality of fulfilling a prophecy. How do you think this old priest is going to respond? Awesome! This is everything. You just told me everything. I'm going to be happy. There's going to be joy and gladness. I'm going to finally have a kid. I'm going to do this and for the nation and woo, everything I could ever, ever imagine. Thank you, angel. I can't wait to go out and tell everybody. Is that what he does? <laughs> no. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Don't tell her I said that. <laughs> Everything I could possibly want that most people ever asked for. And his first thing is, wait a minute, I don't know about this. I mean, how can this even be? Because, I mean, this look at me, this look at her, you know. 
the angel's response to this is then, the angel answered him, oh, you silly little man. <laughs> My name is Gabriel. I know you don't, didn't know that. I'm standing in the presence of God. This is the same Gabriel that talked to Daniel, the prophet. I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. That's his role. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. This word good news is the word eventually, as it carried through, evangelion, it's the gospel. I was sent to bring you this gospel message. And behold, Zechariah, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. If you're hesitant, that's fine. I'm not going to let you talk about it anyway. Because you did not believe my words, mental bookmark. There was a lack of belief on Zechariah's part. Do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he, he went uh, to his home. I just imagine the charades game he was playing in there. Two words. <laughs> One, one word, two syllables, angel. Uh, uh, um, making signs to them. They couldn't say anything. After these days, so he's gone back home. His time of service this year has ended. His one time in the temple has ended, this pinnacle of his career, and he goes back to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. All right, now, let's get to some implications of this passage. There are three, I said. The first one I want to point out is on the bigger, grander scale. Luke begins his gospel his story, his good news, his history. Not with a full-grown Jesus. In fact, let me read this to you. This is what Thabiti says. Loved this statement. He says, Luke does not begin his gospel with, with a full-grown Jesus or even with an infant Jesus. Luke begins his gospel in the wombs of two women. In doing so, Luke tells us about the dignity and importance of pregnancy and children he illustrates how God in infinite wisdom placed the weight of his entire plan of redemption on the back of an unborn baby. The very reality that a baby in the womb could have the spirit of God upon him just is, is astounding to me. It tells me there's, that's a living soul. Does it not? A few verses later, when Elizabeth meets Mary, it actually says that the baby in her womb, John, full of the Spirit, says the baby in, the womb, in her womb leaped for joy. 
important implication in the bigger story as we progress in Luke's story of the gospel, he starts here. Implication number two. Now, the next two implications are going to be tough to follow potentially. They tie together, but I think they're extremely important. Answered prayer is not like this. We tend to think it is. If I do A and B, and then we go, well, I know it's not that simple, Matt, but you know, it's, it's like, if I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and then I pray, because I know that verse, ask and you shall receive, and so then I, okay, and, and what about that? And then we start, we start developing a formula. And I want to tell you right now, there, there's several elements that are off with your formula, but I don't know if I have the time to demonstrate it unless I find a more complex formula to illustrate exactly how this all fits together. I have for you a larger formula. It's the standard model of Langragian, which covers the dynamics of every kind of particle and all of their interactions. Notably, it does not cover gravity, but let's be cool. It's a work in progress. Okay? Now, I, I am not attempting to be silly. I don't expect you to look at that and go, oh. Because <laughs> I'm not looking at that going, oh. <laughs> but when you read Scripture and you begin to piece together what God is doing, you may find that your obedience to what he calls you to What Was Elizabeth and um, Zachariah, had they been obedient? Did there, was their life summarized by God as a, a life summarized by obedience to God? Yes. Yet they had lived their whole lives with this element of suffering. I think you'll find that when, if, if you read through scriptures, if you try to narrow it down and try to say, well, this, if I, A, B, and C, man, the Bible just, you, you can't read the Bible and still hold on to that. There are times where it just goes, wait a minute. In fact, we even saw in here that Zechariah didn't even believe. He, he actually, even after he was told by an angel of God, you're going to get it, he still didn't believe it. You may find your belief is this little part right here in the bigger story of what God is working out. One of the phrases that Charity uses in her counseling all the time with her counselees is she says, stop looking at what God is doing and start looking at who God is. I absolutely 100% agree with that. Oh, wait a minute. Let me see if I can get this to play for you. It's supposed to play automatic. Oh, there we go. So just for funsies, I worked on an equation this morning and recorded it for you. It's the taking of a simple quadratic equation and developing the quadratic formula from that equation. Um, I think that as you watch this played out, I want you to think about this in terms of how you view what God is doing and how your obedience and your faith and your prayers and, your, and the things that you're thinking that you're asking for and all, all those things, how they fit into the grander scheme of what God is doing. Because I'm going to tell you right now, no matter how you try to spin this, Zachariah and Elizabeth's years of 
waiting had a big, big purpose that was really important for what God was doing, and it was glorious. But it would not have felt that way for all those years. We too quickly want to narrow what God is doing down. But there are things that you can learn about God. And if you try to figure out what he's doing, <laughs> now, I don't, I don't know if there's any other math people here. I look at that, this makes total sense to me. And I kind of like it. It's kinda, I love doing this. You might be looking at that going, that's not even math. There's letters, Matt. That can't be math. You can't have A, B, C. What's wrong with you? That's math. is about numbers. Yet, no, that's math too. But th- this is what happens w- with us when we're in the middle of it, isn't it? You ever sitting there and, and you're, you're asking for this? And so that's one part of this thing that God is doing. You're, you're asking is one part of what God is doing. And you're sitting there like, well, and I asked, and so he should be this, and, 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 and maybe it's taken a long time, or maybe it's not happening at all, or maybe you've gotten to a point where you're like Zachary and Luke, you're like, maybe my, my won't is, or my can has turned into a won't, and, and, and Lord, what are you doing? And you start looking at what God's doing, you're going, this doesn't make any sense. Can this make more sense the more you learn about the, top, the topic? Sure. I mean, I can't, I, 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 that other equation I had up there, I was like, what in the world is that? There's somebody that probably understands that. It's not me. And I want to tell you right now, there's an implication here in Zachariah and Elizabeth's stories that you, you, you must acknowledge that what God is doing is grand and glorious, and it was in their lives, and we see it. Hindsight is always 2020. But whatever it is you're in the middle of right now, I'm going to tell you right now, many of you need to just take a step back and say, I probably, in fact, in all likelihood, the issue is that I don't understand what God is doing. So let me take a step back and stop trying to figure out what God is doing because God had been silent for 400 years with the children of Israel. When he's silent with us for four hours, we get frustrated. But did God know exactly what he was doing all along? And it was grand and it was glorious. And I mean, every little detail of the story just paints a picture from from Samuel, Samuel who's actually considered the the first prophet of the nation of Israel in in a kingdom. He's the first prophet. And and then the last, John is by many considered to be the the last prophet of the the nation of Israel. And there's such similarities in their birth stories and and how they were inaugurated into their ministries. And and then even right in the middle, there's this Elijah character that just is the picture of what prophets are all about. And, and then in the very last part, John ends up being like that guy too. He's the, the Elijah that has come and, and it fulfills all these prophecies and he's preparing the way for the Lord and all these things. And we look at it and we go, it's amazing. But don't forget that for Zachariah and Elizabeth, for the majority of their lives, it would not have felt 
that way. They experienced the silence of God for years. So I want you to take heart. I got a whole other section of notes here, but I, I feel like we may need to just stop on this, this thought. Take heart. If you are in a, a time of that silence, you take a step back. If God is doing something, let me share just a few scriptures with you in the rest of these notes. Just a few of these. Um, I got a quote and then a, some, some passages for you. Philip Ryken, a commentator on Luke, says this, in this case, Elizabeth was barren for the glory of God. God was not punishing her, but planning a miracle that would get his people ready for salvation and also bring Elizabeth great joy. God has something special in mind, and the best way to show that John was a special kind or a special child was to bring him from a barren womb. So Elizabeth was suffering because of the way that God wanted to be glorified through her life. Now, you know what? I, I want to stop there. I've got some scriptures. If you'd like some scriptures that help think through these things, I'd like to share them with you if you're like, I need some help. There's scriptures that say that every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. All that is good comes from him. There's passages of scripture that talk about uh, like a good father who gives good gifts. That's how God gives I can tell you right now, there's times when my kids ask for things, it wasn't good. Can I play with this snake? No, that's a copperhead. It'll kill you. (laughs) Right? Sometimes I did things when kids didn't understand at all. You know when they're babies and you take them to the doctor? And you're going to give them a shot? And you're like, this is for your good. You could look them right dead in the eye and go, this is for your good. Are they going to understand it? Have you ever had, done that with a baby? And they went, oh, okay. <laughs> Stick me, doc. <laughs> no, they can't understand it. No matter how you try to explain it, they can't understand it. Don't, do you think that maybe, there, you know, there's a passage of scripture in the Old Testament where Isaiah says, as God speaking, he says, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Is it possible that maybe we just need to stop and take a step back and say, God is doing something. If there's anything I've learned about him, and I've seen it in this story about Zachary, he's doing stuff. And even if it feels like silence, God always comes through. He always does. So who am I to, to question his math? Who am I to question how he balances his equations? Who am I to to bring into question his motives and what he's doing? He always does good. I'm going to close with a word of prayer in praise to him that he did this with Elizabeth and Zechariah. I thank God for these two. 
the righteous life they lived, the patient waiting. I'm thankful that Zechariah didn't respond perfectly. But in jaw-dropping unbelief, huh? I thank God that he did what he was going to do in spite of how Zechariah responded. And I praise God that the story of salvation, we just read in this story, the, the wheels started to turn of the coming Messiah. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Zechariah and Elizabeth or for their faithfulness to you and all their years of service in the ministry. I can imagine feeling many times, Lord, we're not getting what we want, but they, they were still faithful. They were serving up into their old age. God, I praise you for them. I thank you that you worked out your glorious plan in their lives and that we get to read it from Luke this good historian that has written it down for us to marvel at your greatness 2,000 years later. Thank you that you've kept your word secure and safe for us to, to find these truths and to, to just wallow in the goodness of your grace and how, how great you are. I pray for those in this room that it feels like they're in the middle of that 400-year silence. Lord, I know there's, there's thoughts that come to my mind of, of people who maybe are just like Zachary and Elizabeth, or maybe there's some that, that maybe it's a, a relative that they love that is, has walked away from you, Lord, and they're praying, 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 Lord, but it seems like, God, you're not answering, and, and, and they're trying to figure out, but I'm doing this, and I'm doing, and maybe, and, and we start thinking, we, I, need, I need to throw this in there, and throw this in there, and throw this in there. Lord, help us to instead just take a step back and say, Lord, we trust you. We bring our prayers before you as a fragrant offering, like incense being brought up before you, but even in this, this prayer and praying, Lord, I know that my faith is shaky, like Zacharias was. Lord, I know, I know. Lord, if some of these prayers that I pray, if you were to answer them today, I'd respond the same way Zechariah did. How, what? How can that be? But Lord, we pray these things anyway. And God, I pray, pray that you'd help us to just relax into your goodness and trust in you in the middle of all of our weaknesses. I pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed.